We just want to thank you for being our God. Thank you for the privilege that we have to join with you together this morning with other believers. Just lift our voices in praise. It does us so much good. Lord, we know you're blessed by, your, by our praises too. As it reaches your ears, Lord, it brings a smile across your face. And you take delight in your people, lifting high your name. You're worthy. Lord, remind us today that through the storm, you're Lord of all. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning as we pause at the beginning of this week. And as we reflect on what truly is. And God, I pray that you would help us and to take our focus off of the storm. And put it onto the Lord of all. I know, Lord God, as we do, that you will fill our hearts with peace, joy, and love. Lord, I want to thank you for every person who's here today. I know they're not here by accident. I know you brought them here today. I know, Lord God, that you love them with an everlasting love. And Lord, I pray that you would just encourage their hearts today. Lord, I pray that you'd challenge us as well. Father, I thank you so much for meeting with us. And now as we open your word, speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, y'all know what these are, right? Can y'all see that? It's what I use on Sunday morning to check out Daniel Stokes on the back row back there. Oh, Daniel. You're looking good, buddy. <laughs> Binoculars. What do binoculars do? Well, they bring into focus things that are far away. They're not intended for me to look at Bob Bradford right here on the front row. That's too close. Thank God. But <laughs> messing with you, Bob. But uh, it's to bring things far away into focus. You know, I think in this present situation that we find ourselves in as a, as a country that all this stuff that's just right in front of us, that we're giving so much of our attention and our thoughts, and, and it's causing us fear and worry and anxiety, it's because it's right here in front of us. And, and it seems like we can't move our focus off of right here what's in front of us. We've got to have some spiritual binoculars to get our eyes off of what seems to be right in front of us and focus on what's really real and eternal and important. Now, God's not far off, nor is his word. That's what the scripture says. He says, I'm not far off. He said, nor is my word. It's right here, near you. God is near. He said, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. It's not that we need binoculars to see a far off God. It's that we need to get our eyes off of what's so, we think is so big and so uh, important and right in front of our faces to focus on the Lord. You see, as we enter this new year, God's inviting us to make us to make a very necessary and permanent change. A change in our focus. You know, for a whole year, it seemed like our conversations were COVID conversations or presidential election conversations. And as the calendar turned from 2020 to 2021, kind of the same thing. But is that what God wants? Should we 
should our faults and our focus and our emotions and all that be centered on those things? Because if, if that's all we center on and focus on or any other problem or any other thing uh, in our temporal lives, it's not going to produce the joy and the peace and the hope that we're longing for. You see, our focus does determine our peace. And if you're in turmoil, your focus is off, plain and simple. If you're worried, your focus is off. If you're anxious, your focus is off. If you're not at peace, your focus is off. Here's a promise from Isaiah 26.3. It's not going to be on the screen. It just the Holy Spirit just reminded me about it. He shall keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Now that's black and white. That's pure and simple. You can't cut it any other way. If you want perfect peace, that means the storm is raging around you and you can still be at perfect peace. Why? Because your eyes and your mind is not on the storm. It's on the Prince of Peace. It's on Jesus Christ. And so that's our message that we started last Sunday and we're going to continue today. And I'm right here with you because I'm learning that the sooner and the more often I get my focus off of the things of this world and the problems of this world and the problems in my life and focus on Him and His Word the sooner and more lasting I experience his peace, his hope, his love, his joy, and yes, even his answers. Last week we talked about just one focus. One focus. That's all we need in our life is one focus. You know, I cannot look at... Binoculars are, are built that way. You can only focus on one thing at a time. God gave us two eyes, but we can't look in two different directions. Isn't that interesting? We can only focus on one thing at a time. If I'm out there hunting and, and I'm trying to focus, you know, I, I can't look at what's right in front of me and what's out there. I can only focus on one distance, one thing at a time. Even when I'm afraid, David said one thing. And here he, in Psalm 27, he was surrounded by his enemies. We spoke of last week, but he said one thing I desire, one thing I'm going to seek after, and that's to be in the presence of the Lord when you're afraid. When you're overwhelmed with your task, as Martha was, the sister of Mary, she was overwhelmed with her task. Jesus invited her to lay down her task and said to her, Martha, you're distracted by many things, but really one thing is all you need. And Mary has chosen that one thing. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. You say, well, that sounds lazy. Well, you can keep on in turmoil and anxiety if you choose to and be seen as productive because you're always busy and moving or you can enjoy peace because you actually take time every day to be still and to sharpen your focus on the one thing and the one person who really matters we all have tasks but Jesus calls us to sit before him first even when we feel the pull of worldly desires and we think we have to have all these things one thing. Remember last Sunday we looked at the rich young ruler and those three things characterized his life. He was wealthy. He had all he needed. He was young his whole life before him. And he was a ruler. He had great position and authority. He had everything a man could want. 
But Jesus said to him, you still lack one thing. You need to follow me. But he wouldn't. He went away sorrowful. Greatly, and you study language, which we did last week, depressed and distressed. It says sad and sorrowful, but you look at the language, it means depressed and stressed out. And some of you are depressed and some of you are stressed out. Because you're trying to pursue the things of this world and grasping them. And, and even when you grasp them, they're like sand trying to hold on to sand. It slips through your fingers. You want to continue to live depressed and stressed out? And says that's how he left Jesus. Why did he feel that way? Because he went away. He left Christ. He didn't choose to follow him. What about your past? You know, we need one focus when we feel defeated and limited by our past failures. I want you to ask you to do a little mental, about a five second, and that's all it takes. Our brain is a supercomputer. You know that, right? I want you to do a five second review of your past right now, real quick. Here you go. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Now, what did you just think about? Perhaps, if you're like me, you thought about a few of the big negative things that happened to you or you participated in in your past. I was a drug addict. I was a uh, promiscuous. I was abused. I was the abuser. I was this or I was that or I did this or I did that. Those things probably flashed through your mind. It's funny how when we think of our past... The bad tends to surface first. And sometimes Christians can feel that because of their past, what they did or what somebody else did to them is a hindrance to really focusing on and enjoying peace and hope and joy in this life. They're just trying to get through this life so that they can enjoy the peace, hope, and love and joy of the next life in heaven. That's not what God calls us to do. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it, how? Pitifully? Abundantly. Not just trying to get through it, but thriving, an abundant life, despite what's going on around us. Do you feel defeated? Limited by your past failures? Let me do a little biblical review. Let's start with Abraham. The father of our faith, really. In fact, it says, the Bible says, that, that all of those who believe God have Abraham as their father. Because Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And all those who believe in God are given the righteousness of God just as Abraham was. So here's Abraham, the father of our faith. You know what he was? You know what his past was? He was an idol worshiper. He was a pagan. He didn't know God. And then when God revealed himself and he chose to follow God, even then he had a plaguing problem that he repeated in his life. Lying and deceiving. I think it was a pretty, at first, sorry excuse for a husband. I mean, here's a man who's, who's supposedly a man, but he goes into Egypt and then another time he goes into another foreign land and he tells his wife, make sure they know that you are my sister. Now, it wasn't 
full sister, but they, she was his half-sister. You say, well, that wasn't really a lie. Well, it was a half-truth. What's a lie? To me, a lie is a half-truth. It can be the whole lie or half-truth, but it's still a lie. He says, and so he tells Pharaoh, and then later Abimelech, she's my sister. Now, why did he do that? Because he was a self-preservationist. He was worried about his own skin. Now, what husband? Husbands, would you do that to your wife? Would you put her out on the chopping block? Would you give her to another man just to save your skin? Pharaoh was going to sleep with her. Abimelech was going to sleep with her. Took them as her wife, their wife. Until God stopped it. That's Abraham's past. Pretty sorry, huh? But look what Abraham did. If he would have dwelt on his past, he would have never become what God had for him to become. Let's move on to his grandson, Jacob. This idea of deception and lying was visited upon each succeeding generation up to Jacob. The word Jacob, the name Jacob means supplanter or deceiver. You know, Jacob stole his older brother Esau's birthright through deception. And yet, Jacob is one of the fathers of our faith. We could fast forward to Moses. Besides Moses being a basket case... I knew some of y'all would get that. <laughs> Moses was a murderer. Killed an Egyptian. And he felt justified in killing that Egyptian because that Egyptian was beating one of his Jewish brothers. He was a murderer. Had to flee for his life. David. King David. You know what David did, right? Right? When he, should, when he was, should have been out to battle with his army, he was relaxing on his rooftop and he looked down and he saw a woman bathing. And he lusted after her in his heart. And he brought her to him and slept with her and she conceived. And then David, to cover it up, had, his, had her husband murdered. He was an adulterer and a murderer. But then later God says, he was a man after my own heart. Jonah, probably one of the greatest preachers that ever lived. You say, why do you say that, Brother Lee? Well, he preached the shortest sermon, which was 40 days and Nineveh was going to be destroyed. That was his sermon. Then the whole city, from the kings down to the dogs, repented in sackcloth and ashes and God despaired the city. Now, if I could preach one sentence in four or five words and all you would repent, it's pretty good, right? Some of you think, well, I wish you'd be more like Jonah. And I'd say, I wish you'd be more like Nineveh. <laughs> but Jonah ran from God before he fulfilled his assignment. Tried to hide from God in the bottom of a ship. Of course, God found him and swallowed him up. Spit him out on the shore from the belly of a fish. Think of Peter. Peter, who said, Lord, I'll never... Deny you. Lord, I'll die for you. If I ever had to, I'd die for you. And y'all know what happened to Peter? This little slave girl around the fire just asked him a simple question. Aren't you one of those that was with Jesus? And three times in a row, Peter vehemently, with curses even, swore, no, I do not know the man. But yet Peter went on to become, if you will, the father of the New Testament church. Paul, 
Paul was a the main persecutor of the church. Participated in the first murder, martyr, martyrdom of the first martyr of the Christian era, Stephen. He held the coats of the men who stoned Stephen and went on to persecute and drag many others to that same fate. The Apostle Paul. Now just look back at your life. Does your life look as bad as that? Your past look as bad as that? Maybe it does. But here's the scripture. Because God doesn't want you focusing on your past. Here's what God says in Philippians 3. Paul writes these words, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. That means I don't count myself as having arrived spiritually. I'm not there yet. Let me echo that. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. None of us in this building are, have arrived spiritually to the point where we say, well, you know what, I'm full grown spiritually. I don't need to grow anymore. I don't need to learn anymore. I don't, I don't need to do anymore. I'm, I have arrived. Even the Apostle Paul said, I haven't arrived. He said, but this, look at this. There's that word. There's that phrase again. This one thing I do. One thing. Here's what I'm doing. I'm forgetting those things which are behind. And I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now listen. You can't do both. You cannot do both. If you're clinging to your past, you cannot reach forward to what God has for you now and in the future. you got to let it go. you got to let it go. You say, I can't. And there's part of your problem. You don't believe in the power of God. And that's your problem. It's not, your problem is not your past. Your problem is your faith. Your problem is your, is your faith in God. It's, your problem is not God. Your problem is your faith in God. Your problem's not your past. Your problem's in, ex- and, and you haven't accepted the full freedom and, and forgiveness that's found in Jesus Christ alone. And if you're a believer, then you say you have accepted the forgiveness and the freedom in Christ that broke the power of sin over everybody. And if you're still living chained to your past, then that's not God's problem. That's your problem. And you think, I can't. Move forward because of I'm still chained to my past. You're not chained to your past if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Christ, then yeah, you are still chained to your past. But Jesus Christ is the chain breaker. Paul says, I forget those things which are behind. Paul had a lot to forget. That doesn't mean he could mentally forget. He would never think of it again, never remember it again. It means he's making a conscious choice to not let those things defeat him or hold him any longer. He's going to move past that time in his life where he persecuted Christians. And when he was steeped in a uh, religious piety and religious tradition, and he's going to move forward to fulfilling the mission that Jesus Christ personally gave him to do on the road to Damascus. And see, that's where you and I are. We have to forget, choose to put those things behind us. They don't hold you anymore. They only hold you because you're hanging on to them. Your guilt won't let you let it go. Your shame. But when Jesus forgives sin, he cancels guilt and shame. And if you're still feeling that, it's the devil. You're listening to him. He's the liar. He's the accuser. He's the condemner. And you, need, you have power over him. 
You can stand against him and resist him in the name of Jesus Christ and on the authority of God's word. That's what it says in Revelation 12. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. To press on, to press upward, you've got to let go of the junk in your past. And by the way, you can. Not in your own strength, but you can. To say you can't, again, is to limit God. Is God limited? With man, there are impossibilities. But with God, what does the scripture say? All things are possible. What does the Bible say? I can do how many things? All things. How? By pulling up my own bootstraps, by a self-strong, determinated will, or through Christ who strengthens me. Romans tells us I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me. I'm not bound to my past. Nobody wants to see their past on display. We're not asking you to display your past. It's not our business. But you're not chained to it either. He says in the last verse here of Philippians 3, as many as are mature, let them have this mind. In other words... Mature believers are the ones who have been able to let go of their past and move forward with Christ. So in order to grow as a believer, you've got to do that. And you can do it right now. You can do it right here today. You see, some people say, well, I can't forgive myself. I want to first of all ask you this. Show me that in the Bible. Show me the concept of forgiving yourself in the Scripture. That's your assignment this week. You're going to be busy because you won't find it. There's nowhere in the scripture says you need to forgive yourself. But it does say you need to receive God's forgiveness. And if you can't forgive yourself, it's because you haven't fully received God's forgiveness. And it's free. You don't have to make up for it. And some of you are living like you've got to make up for all your past errors. No, you don't. Jesus did that when he died on the cross. He said, it is finished. You don't have to make up for it. The Bible says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Your past doesn't hold you anymore. You're a brand new person. Quit thinking of yourself as that person. If Paul would have kept thinking of himself as a killer, he would have never been the father of the New Testament church. If Abraham kept thinking of himself as an idol worshiper and a liar, he would have never become the father of our faith. If Peter, all he saw himself was a denier of Christ, and yet it beat him up bad. He went away and wept bitterly. And we know he did for three days until Jesus was resurrected and restored him. And Peter, he said, Peter, and remember he said it three times. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then here's your commission. Feed my sheep. If Peter would have saw himself as just a denier, he would have never fed the sheep of Jesus Christ. How are you looking at yourself? What's your focus? Is it on your past or on the one who's forgiven your past.
Jesus. How can you use your past for God's glory? See, that's what God wants to do. He wants to transform your past into a testimony of His glory. You see, some people are in bondage because they're afraid somebody might find out their secret. Somebody might find out if they get too close that I've had an abortion. Somebody might find out if they get too close that, that um, I was promiscuous in my early years. Somebody might find out if, I get too clo- if they get too close that, uh, that I actually you know, was guilty of armed robbery. Now you're going, Brother Lee, do all that stuff. What if I had? Would you think differently of me? And if you would... It's because you're seeing things not through the grace of Jesus Christ. You're still seeing things through a human perspective. And no, I'm not guilty of those things. But I'm guilty of other stuff that's just as bad. Some people try to keep all that stuff buried. I don't want anybody to find out. And because you feel such guilt and such shame, you don't let anybody in. You build walls because somebody might find out your secret. And hate you. Yeah, somebody might judge you. But what if you took that testimony like Paul did? Every time Paul gave his testimony, he talked about what he was and then how God changed him as a testimony of the wonderful, forgiving power of God's grace. Look what I was, and now look what I am by the grace of God. Use your past as a testimony of God's saving grace. Quit trying to cover it up. Bring it to the light and let God transform it. Because there are people who are struggling with the same past you have. And they're wondering how they can be free from it. And you can show them how Christ freed you. Transform your past into a powerful witness for Jesus Christ. On the other hand, there are some of you who may feel enslaved to an ensnaring sin. It's not your past that's killing you, it's your present. For many Christians, in fact, I would even venture to say most all of us, there's one particular thing that just keeps eating our lunch spiritually. A particular sin that the devil knows how to get to us with. In other words, he knows the buttons to press. You ever heard somebody says, they, that person just presses my buttons? To which I say, well, maybe you have too many buttons. But anyway, usually the devil knows what one button he can push to cripple me. For some of you, it may be something like gossip. Well, you know, I know gossiping's wrong. And I've asked the Lord to forgive me of it a dozen times and I've repented of it a dozen more times. And, but then the phone rings and before you know it, you've blurted out all this gossip. And you hang up and you're going, oh, I did it again. Then you follow your knees, you ask God's forgiveness. Tomorrow the phone rings again, you do the same thing. Over and over and over. For some of you, it's lust. You're driven by fulfilling your sexual desires. Through your eyes, 
your mind, and actually carrying out those thoughts in perverted ways. And it's not just a male problem, although it's a predominantly male problem. And you know it's wrong, you feel guilty about it, and you ask God's forgiveness, and you, you repent of it, and you purpose, you're never going to do it again, and then up pops something on your computer screen, or, 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 or walks by this beautiful young lady, scantily dressed, or a nice, handsome, muscular young man. And you spiral right back down. Over and over. You know it's wrong, but you keep doing it. For some of you, it's worry and fear and anxiety. You say, is worry a sin? Yeah. If the Bible says don't do something and you do it, would you say that's a sin? Well, how many times does the Bible say do not worry? A bunch. But yet we worry. We say, well, I'm only human. Well, how would that work if I said, well, I'm sleeping around with a bunch of women. You know, I'm only human. You say, well, that's ridiculous. Well, so is worrying. It's just as wrong. It's just as sinful. But yet, for somehow we, we excuse certain things, but, but they're plaguing sins. Worry is a plaguing sin like lust is, like gossip is. It's a plaguing sin. It's an ensnaring sin, and it keeps the people in the body of Christ trapped. It's an ensnaring sin. And you say, what does it have to do with one focus? Well, because the devil knows how to keep us trapped by our focus. Let me give you an example. If lust is your ensnaring sin, then you're constantly on guard and thinking about either averting lust or finding ways to uh, consume upon that desire. That's your focus. And let's say you're trying to walk in the power of the Spirit and you say, well, I, I got to wake up and I can't lust today. I can't lust. And it's, it's kind of always on the forefront of your mind. And, and then here comes this pretty girl or this handsome guy and, and all of a sudden you're, you're fighting the urge. There's that temptation right there. You remember when, when God said, don't eat of the fruit of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? But then Eve, here comes the serpent and Adam and Eve are there and the serpent draws Eve's attention to that fruit and it says she saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eyes now at that point what should she have done she could not avoid the temptation you cannot avoid temptation when it comes to any of those three things or any other sin that you may be ensnared by you're not going to avoid temptation. Quit asking God to cause you not to be tempted. You're going to be tempted. You're alive. You're going to be tempted. What should Eve have done when she saw that the fruit was pleasing? What should she have done? Yeah. She should have got her eyes off the fruit and on to God. Shifted her focus. You say, that's not, it's easier said than done. Don't I know it? Because I'm just like you. But I speak on the authority of the Word of God and from personal experience that the moment you shift your focus from gossip or worry or lust or whatever ensnaring sin you have, the moment you get your eyes off of the sin and onto the Savior, the battle is that decision right there. 
And when you make that decision, you'll see the power of temptation destroyed. What is it that you're worried about? You see, and you let your mind spiral down because of the worry and the fear of all the worst case scenarios that could possibly happen. Get your mind off of the WCSs, that's worst case scenarios, and on to the wonderful Christ, our Savior. Another WCS. And if you're tempted to gossip, and somebody's yang, 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 but just, just going at it 90 to nothing, and you're, you're being tempted and being sucked in. Hey, I got an idea for you. Hey, sweetheart, good talking to you. I got to go, bye. You say, well, preacher, that's rude. Who are you trying to please? Or how about just saying, you know what? We're both disobeying Christ right now. And I'm going to cease this conversation. And let's turn this conversation to talking about the wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who, were it not for His grace, we might be just like that person we're talking about. Get your focus off of your sin. Because you see, it's always there. That ensnaring sin. Here's what the Bible says. Therefore, also since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Remember the cloud of witnesses we talked about? Abraham, Moses, Jacob, David, Peter, Paul. Let us lay aside, put to the side every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Lay it aside to do what? Run the race that's set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Had these men kept their eyes on their sin. You know what? I would imagine that some of those things still plagued those men. Deception. I imagine Peter may have battled the rest of his life of, of being bold enough to, to step forward. That's why I said we prayed and we asked the church to pray that we would have boldness. That's why Paul said, pray for me that I might have boldness to speak. They were probably struggling the rest of their life to not deny Jesus. And they prayed for boldness. And they had to look and depend upon Jesus Christ. And says, and look at the end of that passage of Hebrews 12. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Don't give up. And by the way, sometimes as I said earlier. It may not be what has what you have done in your past, but what has been done to you that's plaguing you. I said this to the early crowd. I didn't mean to, but it just came to me in the middle of the message. You know, some of you have been the victims of terrible abuse. This scripture says, consider Christ who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Were, were you betrayed? Was he betrayed? Were you sexually abused? You say, well, how was Christ sexually abused? Well, he was stripped naked and hung on a cross. Were you, were you emotionally abused? How was Christ emotionally abused? Well, he was mocked. They put a crown on his head of thorns, beat it down so it would jab down in his scalp with a rod. 
put a purple robe on him after he'd already been beaten severely. A purple robe, and then they bowed. Oh, you think you're the king, you know? Emotional abuse. Verbal abuse? Yeah, at the foot of the cross. You say you're the king of the Jews. You say you're God. Then save yourself. Prove to us. Verbal abuse. Blasphemy. Physical abuse. He was beaten. The Bible says Isaiah beyond recognition. You wouldn't even known who it was. You haven't endured anything that Christ hasn't already endured. Get your focus off of your abuse. Get your focus off of the bad things that have happened to you and on to Jesus. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, looking unto Jesus. He endured the shame and the pain. Here's what the Bible says in Titus 2, verse 12 to 14, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, whether we committed it or it was committed against us, and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. See that ensnaring sin? Whatever you committed or whatever was committed against you is not to be your focus. It's hard, but you can do it because we can do all things through Christ. Get our focus off of all of this and onto him. And you'll be surprised the more you're able to do that, it's a journey. It's a challenge. It's a fight worth fighting. Paul said, I fought the good fight. I think he meant a lot of things. I think one of the things he meant was that right there. I got to fight to keep my focus right. But it's worth it. I got to fight this old sinful nature that it doesn't win, but it's worth it. I fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I finished the race. And now set before me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord himself will give. Next week, I want to talk about something else related to this. Is One focus in the middle of a chaotic world. But would you stop right now and during this time of response and just ask the Lord to help you? I want to remind you, you can't do this in your own will and strength. You can't. But God will help you. But you have to depend on him. You have to want to. I know there's a lot of bad in this world. A lot of bad around you and in your life. Christ didn't deny that because a lot of bad happened to him. And he came into a bad world. And it's not any better now. But he lived victoriously. And as he poured his life into those men, those men lived victoriously. They were able to overcome their past. They were able to overcome their ensnaring sin and live victoriously in the middle of a crooked and perverse generation. And that's what God's calling us to do. Would you ask him to help you to do that? Would you pray with me?